Well, thank you, worship team, and uh, good to have everybody here. Good morning, everybody. And uh, we welcome those who are online with us as well. And um, I know uh, something's happening this week that some of our folks are a little disgruntled about. We got some of them in here this morning. Um, on our fifth Sunday, we always have our kids come in. Usually they have ministries back there in our kids' area. But on the fifth Sunday, we call it Family Sunday. So we got a lot of kiddos here this morning. Everybody, wave, all you kiddos wave at me this morning, okay? Y'all got your sheets? You ready? You ready to listen? And, the, and some big kids too, all right? So we're good to have you all this morning. Well, we're going to continue and finish up our series that I've been doing called Conversion Factor. And we've been walking through the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And we've been looking at the different conversion and the factors involved in those conversions in the book of Acts, which is the, really the story of after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, and him given that great commission that the church got started in the first century, and it went out from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to all the world, and it's still going on today. So I want to start with a story. John, Ortber John Ortberg is a pastor, and he tells a story about being invited to one of these lunches. You know, sometimes you get invited to some of these kind of secular lunches where you, it's kind of a community thing, and they invite business leaders and preachers invariably get invited to those as well. And he said, we're sitting around this table, and really none of us really know each other. And uh, there was an empty seat next to me, and, uh, and then on the other side of that empty seat was a very attractive woman. He said, this guy comes in, and uh, he sees the empty seat there, and he says, is it okay if I sit down? And he says, this guy already struck me as just kind of an operator, if you will. And uh, he said he, he sat down, and he uh, uh, noticed the attractive woman next to him, and he said this. He goes, well, what have you been doing here except for turning the heads of everybody in the room? And John Ortberg says, I knew he was talking to her, but I said, oh, just eating lunch. And that kind of launched them into a, a conversation of just, you know, why are you here? What do you do in the community? And everybody was kind of telling what they did. And, and Ortberg talked about that uh, what he did was basically is that he was uh, pastoring a church that was really for church who didn't like church. And the man was intrigued by this. And he goes, that's interesting. And he says, I grew up Jewish, but be quite honest with you, since 12 years old, I've really... Uh, never done anything with that since 12 years old. I kind of walked away, and uh, I guess I still have that background. I've been to a Unitarian church a couple of times, and I've been divorced three times. And John says, I, I thought about that, and if I had to assess someone on the basis of that one conversation and what had gone on in his life thus far, he was about as far away as the faith in Jesus as one could be. And his name was Steve, and he says, you know, I, I started to just go, yeah, he's kind of out there, but I went ahead and says, hey, why don't you come and check out our church sometimes? And he says, I really believed he would never come to our church. But he ended up showing up the next Sunday, and he saw him after the worship service because he sat on the front row, and he's like, holy cow, he's here this morning. He's on the front row. And he says, he came up to me afterwards and asked where we got our material, and I said, from the New Testament. And he says, I've never read the New Testament, and he gave him a copy of the New Testament, and he went home and he said he started getting up early every morning and reading 20 or 30 pages of the Bible every day. And he kept coming back to church week after week after week. And they kept talking and he started thinking about making a decision to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, he realized it would be very costly with his Jewish background because his family already knew he was thinking about it. And they says, if you do that, you will be dead to us. Can you imagine your family saying that to you? 
But he eventually said yes and became a follower of Jesus. And John Ortberg says, The last time I saw him, he was with a friend. And when he saw me, he threw his arms around me and said to his friend, I want you to meet the person who helped me, who helped bring me to Jesus. And it all started that day at that luncheon where he was about to just go, That guy's too far. And I tell that story to say that as we've gone through this uh, book of Acts, and we've noticed how many times Paul went into a, a new place, and there was people who rejected him, who rejected his message, but Paul never gave up. He always knew, I still need to give the message. I still need to invite people to understand what it is to have a relationship with Christ, and he kept doing that. And so we've been going through the book of Acts, as I've talked about, and last week we were in chapter 18, and so I'm going to fast forward um, to the end of the chapter, and do y'all realize, and those of you who have been here do realize, we've been doing this series since May. Some of you are going, yeah, no. <laughs> but I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed going through Acts and recognizing that what happened after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension went on to start this wonderful thing called the church, the bride of Christ, and it has been going on throughout history exactly as Jesus anticipated that it would. So we're going to go from chapter 18, and after that, 18 through 27, Paul would continue on to this third missionary journey. He's already been on two journeys, and he's been going, and he's going back and visiting some of these churches he's already started but as usual, every time Paul went somewhere, the riot started. People were very um, disturbed by his message. And some people loved it and converted, but other people were very angry about it. But in this particular place in Ephesus, a lot of idol worship uh, to the goddess Ar Artemis. And this created a, a tension there that uh, Paul was basically saying, you worship a false god, and this caused a lot of problems. And so Paul and team members went to Macedonia from Ephesus and to Greece and to Troas. And further on to this third missionary journey, they would end up in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul's people said, don't go to Jerusalem. You know they're going to be looking to try to get you there. Why do you need to go to Jerusalem? But Paul felt it was important. And sure enough, when Paul went back to Jerusalem, a riot started. And it eventually got him in prison. And eventually through that... He would eventually appeal to Caesar, and so to Caesar he would go, but he would have to go, and that's where we're going to pick up today. But what I want us to see clearly through all this journey of going through Acts is that through all the crises that Paul went through, all the crises that his team went through, ultimately those were factors that led to people converting to Jesus Christ, and all of this was through the Holy Spirit. There were always crises, and we don't escape any of those crises in the Bible, but especially as we read through Acts, we see that all of those ultimately led to bringing people to Christ. Now, Paul could have, couldn't have possibly foreseen that those crises would lead to some of the amazing things that happened, just like in our lives. We don't always know some of the crises that we're going through right now, what the end result will be, but we know that if we really believe in God and we really believe that He is sovereign, that he is working behind the scenes to even in the midst of our crisis. And thanks to the Holy Spirit that Luke was inspired to write down all of this, the Acts of the Apostles, these three missionary journeys, and we have the advantage of reading all of what happened and those conversions that came out of those various crises. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you to recognize how God has worked 
throughout history. So I want us to kind of do a quick review of where we've gone since May. And you're going, what? You're going to go over all of that? You know, yeah, I want to just real quickly, and if you haven't been here, you get the, you know, the, the thumbnail sketch of it. So we started on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and there was a crisis because the Holy Spirit came upon the Jesus followers, and it was obvious something was different. They were speaking in different languages, and the crisis was a lot of people said they're drunk. They're crazy. They're drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. And he preached this amazing sermon, introducing them to who Jesus was, crucified and resurrected. And he was the hope and the Savior of the world. And that day, 3,000 people were converted. And then we moved on from there, and we, we meet a, a guy named Stephen, who was the first martyr. And he was murdered, which led to the scattering of those disciples that were in Jerusalem to move out of there because of the fear of the persecution. But what that did was is push people out of Jerusalem and Judea, and all of a sudden we started seeing the gospel message going to Samaria and other parts of the world. And then if you remember, this whole series started out with Jonathan preaching on the crisis of an Ethiopian uh, official who had converted to Judaism, but as he's learning, he was in town for one of the festivals. He has a crisis as he's reading from the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah, and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And through the Holy Spirit, Philip is led to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, can you explain this to me? And he tells him from that very passage and explains to him about Jesus Christ. And he was converted, and he goes back to Africa with this good news. And then we have the crisis of Saul, who is a high official in the Jewish church, and he is persecuting Christians, but he has a conversion experience on the way to Damascus, actually on the way to arrest Christians, and his life is changed forever. He is converted, and now he is the one who will go to the Gentiles with the message of Christ. And then we went from the early Jesus followers, who a lot of them were Jewish, and they were excluding the Gentiles. Like, well, yeah, you can become a believer in God, but there's certain things you have to do. And this created tension. Go, wait a minute. That was the old covenant to the Jews, but now in Jesus there is a new covenant. You mean we have to follow all the Jewish laws? And there was some tension there. And Peter was the first who had this conversion experience in which he met a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile, and he recognized that God showed him clearly that, yes, the Holy Spirit could come to those who were not Jewish, and he had missed this, but now he understood that. And then we saw later in chapter 15 where the uh, Gentiles are being converted, and there were still some people going, yeah, but they have to follow the Mosaic law, and the leaders of that early church came together and go, wait a minute, that's the old covenant. We don't have to follow that. All these do's and don'ts that are in there. No, we're going to keep people who are Gentiles from coming to the Lord. Why do we want to do that? And so they wrote this letter and says, forgive us. But here's the things you need to keep doing, but you don't have to do all those things. And it was a relief to everybody. And then we had the, the crisis of Peter and John and Paul and Silas being thrown into jail. And you would think, well, there's the end of that. But it wasn't the end. Um, in, in prison, people saw the power of the Holy Spirit, God's power, allowing them to share the gospel, not only in prison, but through the power of God, leading them out of prison in these miraculous escapes that even more people heard the gospel and more people were converted. And then we had a, a, an internal crisis where Paul and Barnabas, who were preachers, who were missionaries, and then they got to an argument and go, hey, let's take John Mark with us, who was on that first missionary journey. And Paul goes, I'm not taking him. He deserted us. I'm not going to take him. So they had a little bit of attention there. And Barnabas goes, you know what? I will take him. He needs to be encouraged. God's not through with him yet. And so he took him. And Paul went on with 
um, uh, Silas, and they had other partners, but the gospel still went on forward converting other people. And then, of course, there were the, uh, the crisis of the riots getting started. But you recognize whenever a riot starts, people that see a riot starting go, hey, what's going on over there? And they all run towards it, and they want to know what's going on. And because of these riots, people were hearing, there's a guy named Paul, and he's preaching about Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? And it just made it more obvious to people that there's something going on here. So even in those crises of riots, it led Paul and his team to share the gospel to even more people. And then when they left... The other places they went, people had already heard, yeah, we heard about the riot over there. Are you coming to do that here? And Paul's like, well, <laughs> that's usually what happens. And so they were able to, to partner with others. And then last week we looked at Paul having the crisis of going by himself. Some of his team has left for the moment. And he goes into this city of Corinth, which is very pagan. And he goes in there, but God helps partner him with other Jesus followers that led to more converts. So that's really quickly. You're going, all right, kids, you get all that on your papers, right? You've got that whole review. All right. So for our last message in this series, I want to look at the last couple of chapters of Acts, which is 27 and 28, and read through one of the most dangerous crises that Paul goes through. He is on his way to Rome. When he went to Jerusalem, sure enough, uh, people came and started a riot and said, this man is destroying the Mosaic law. He is, he's just you know, leading people astray, and they arrested him and beat him. And he goes, you know, the officials have to come and go, what's going on here? And ultimately, he says, I appeal to Rome. And they say, okay, to Rome you will go. And so he is on his way to Rome to Caesar, who is Nero at the time. But what we will read about, and it's kind of before our passage today, is he gets caught uh, along uh, in this boat that he's on in this horrible, uh, violent storm and ultimately a shipwreck uh, on a detour to this island of Malta. So a little background. During this season, they didn't sail much. There was a certain season where they said, this is where horrible storms are on the seas. All the people who sh- uh, were... Um, captains who, who did, were in the uh, ship world says, you don't travel during this time, it's too dangerous. So they would winter in certain harbors for a few weeks or months until the weather got better and then they would continue on. So Paul is on a ship with 276 other people, which involves uh, other prisoners, Roman soldiers, some, some uh, regular people, but they're all going to Rome, but they all know that somewhere along the line we're going to have to stop and winter along the way because there's no way with this season we're going to be able to make it all the way to Rome without something happening. And so they knew this, and they've been moving along towards Rome, and the weather gets really bad. They're not making hardly any progress. They decide to pull over, and they are going to maybe thinking about wintering. And Paul says, you need to stop. This is going to get worse. They don't listen to him. They want to try to get to the next city and winter there. And that's when they run into a horrible storm that lasts for 14 days. 14 days, and Scripture tells us that they don't even see the sun for 14 days. Can you imagine being on a boat? For 14 days and not seeing the sun. That would be a long 14 days, wouldn't it? It would be, you're thinking, we're going to die. <laughs> and that's what they thought. And so we're going to pick up there where just before they actually shipwreck on this island of Malta. Malta, And we're going to look at Acts 27 starting in verse 33. And so follow along if you will. So just before dawn, Paul urged them, all those who are on the boat, to eat. For the last 14 days, he says, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food and you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. 
Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They then hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So they were all saved, just like Paul said. And once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed, showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expect him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they, cha they changed their minds and said he was a god. And there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the official of the island, the chief official of the island. And he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies, with the supplies that we needed. So I'm going to stop right there. So we see in this text, this is a major crisis. You're supposed to be going to Rome to face trial. And instead, you're shipwrecked. You go in this horrible storm for 14 days. And now, and it tells us later on in 28, that Paul and all of these 276 people are there on that island, this detour for three months. That was never Paul's plan. He had appealed to Caesar because there had been no court in Judea willing or able to settle the matters that kept surfacing everywhere he went. You know, Paul would go in and preach and teach about Jesus, this good news of Jesus, how our sins can be forgiven, how we can have eternal life through our Savior. He was the Messiah that Jesus was preaching. And then there would be these absurd accusations of Paul and his team saying they were leading people astray, not only to the Jewish religion, but also against the Roman civil laws. Now, none of this was true, but this is what happened. And then when ultimately Paul would get into court with the officials and they would question him, they would go, what's the deal with this guy? He's preaching about Jesus. We don't understand that. But he's not leading any kind of insurrection. He's not promoting violence. He, sh he poses no threat politically or militarily. What's the deal with these people? Why are they so angry? But what they did see, as the rest of the world saw in this first century, is that people who were followers of Jesus, they shared the good news of Jesus, not only talking about it, but in what they did, the way they treated each other, in their actions. And they formed this diverse, these diverse communities wherever Paul went. And it wasn't just Jewish people 
It was Gentiles, it was Greeks, it was Romans. It wasn't just men, it was men and women. It wasn't just free people, it was slaves. All of these people were forming these communities together and they were valued as, equal, valued as equals. And the rest of the world was going, what is this movement? Who are these Jesus people that see that everyone is equal when the culture was saying we're not equal? And they were faithful and they were loyal to Jesus and his teachings. And they relied on the Holy Spirit for the guidance in their life. And people were seeing amazing things happen because of this movement. But Paul was a Roman citizen and he had appealed to Caesar. And that's where he was going. But this crisis again shows us that the number of diverse people who would encounter Paul in the middle of this crisis, in the message of Christ and the hope of the resurrection. Luke tells us, and I don't know if you caught this, I mentioned it last week. So in the first part of Acts, we hear we a lot because Luke is writing this and he's a part of the action. And then in the middle parts, we don't hear we anymore, we just hear Paul. And then all of a sudden you notice you hear we again because Luke rejoins him on this missionary journey. And Paul, I mean, and Luke is a part of this with Paul, so he's going in that we person again. So he says there were 276 people and Luke was a doctor. He was very concerned with accuracy and he knows exactly. I can just see him on that ship going on one, two, three. He's counting out. He wants to know how many people are actually on the ship, but they're a part of this horrific storm. And I know at some point Paul tells them, I told you so. I told you we were going to be shipwrecked. I told you this was going to happen. Why didn't you listen to me? But during this time, can you imagine how people look at Paul during this 14 days? They see this man that's praying, that has this faith in God, who says we're all going to be saved. They go, how does he know this? What is it that he has that we don't? Who is this God? Who is this Jesus that he believes in, that he knows we're going to be saved? Why does he know that? Why does he have this confidence? And then it continued. When they were all saved, they probably want to go, he's right. God's been with us. We should have died. How did we survive? And they're on this island. And not only are they on this island, but they have this incredible hospitality from these people on the island of Malta. And then you have the whole scene. Y'all thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it was cool that you kids were in here today about, yeah, and he talked about That's probably all you're going to remember. It's like there was a snake on this guy's hand, and he shook it off in the fire. That's what I would remember if I was a kid. But he does that, and they go, oh, this guy you know, they, they kind of think in different terms culturally and religiously. Like, oh, he survived the storm, but he must be a really bad guy because now there's a snake on him. And that means that justice will be served anyway. But he shakes the snake off into the fire and all of a sudden he's fine. And then they think he's a god. Now, Luke doesn't record this, but I know Paul says, no, I'm not a god. But let me tell you about the god that I serve. The god that has saved me to get here. The god that I am going all over the world preaching about. And he was able to share the good news of Jesus. Christ. And so Paul, as we read, healed the chief official's father, and then the rest of them would bring their sick. And again, they probably, in that culture, think he's some kind of God. And again, he's no, I'm not God, but God has empowered me to show you who he is through what he's doing here. And so out of the specifics of all those, I know there were many that were converted during those, those three months. And so this detour has been a part of what God was doing all along. And I hope you've seen that as we've gone through Acts. So the last two verses in the last chapter of Acts of the Apostles is chapter 28. In these last two verses, it tells us that Paul stayed in Rome for two more years after this. He's on what we understand was house arrest. He was um, in a house that he was able to rent, but he always had a Roman guard there with him watching him. And he couldn't just go wherever he wanted. They had to watch him, but he could have people come to him. But what we know about this is although he wasn't able to travel anymore, I can't go on another missionary journey right now, 
But what do we know that Paul did during that time? He didn't stop. He didn't give up. He started writing what we know as the prison epistles, didn't he? And we have those letters that he wrote back to those churches that we refer to in our own lives now because Paul continued to do what God had called him to do. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was faithful to what God had called him to do. And again, this was all part of God's plan. So as I know I've talked really quickly through all of that, but I ask this every week. Why do we need to know this? Why have you spent 12, 13 weeks, Craig, on the book of Acts? That's interesting to some people. Uh, I've kind of slipped through some of it. Um, but what is, what is the big deal about that? Why do we need to know what a guy named Paul did in the first century? Why do we need to know what happened in, in that early first century with these things called churches and all those crises that led to converts? Because it ultimately reminds us and tells us the amazing story of God's plan for the world that's still God's plan for the world. That we need to be saved. That there's people that are lost and need to be saved. No longer do we have to be separated from God, from our sin. Jesus paid the price on the cross for that sin. And that's, now we're not separated by our sin from God. And then there's this thing called death that we think separates us from each other and from God. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we are now no longer separated from God through death. And if sin and death cannot separate us from God, neither can the crisis that we face in our lives. And here's the deal. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that life is going to be fair. Nowhere in Scripture does it say because you're a God believer, because you believe in God and because you're righteous and you do the right things, that you're not going to have crisis in your life. Has anybody figured that out yet? Okay, And we don't preach that kind of nonsense here that, oh, if you'll just do the right things and tithe and do all the right things, everything's going to be great in your life. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that. Nowhere in the Old Testament did anybody was a prophet of God have an easy life. Nobody in the New Testament had an easy life. They had crisis, but all those crises, because of their faith, led to God doing something amazing down the road. Now, I say all that to say, but why do we need to know it? Because we need to know that Satan tells us because of crisis in our lives, you can't trust God. Why did God let that happen to you and your family? Why did God allow this to happen to you? And we start to believe that lie. If God really loves you, if he really was who he said he was, he wouldn't let this happen in your life. And that's a lie. But we fall for that lie sometimes. We go, well, I'm done with God then. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do, to be done with God and try to do it on your own. But if you're human here today, you know you will experience crisis in your life. Even you young people that are here today, you're going to have crisis, right? No matter what grade you're getting ready to go into, you're going to have a crisis here, I promise. You know, it's going to happen. But that's not a bad thing. Those things are not to be uh, experiences that are in vain or random or without reason and meaning. God takes our crisis and he says, what can you learn out of this? And all of us have those stories. So I would imagine among us in the group today, as I look around this morning, and if I could see a caption over everybody's head this morning, there's some kind of crisis that you're thinking about right now. Some of you have not heard a single word I said because you're thinking about that crisis. And I'm not making fun of that, but you're here today, and thank God you are. But there's something in your heart and your mind and your soul that's a crisis in your life, and it's just overwhelming you, and you're thinking about that right now. But God is the God who says, I know that's coming. I know you're in the middle of it, but I want to be there with you and help take you from that crisis into something meaningful for your life. And as I think about that, there's broken relationships. 
that some of us are, are going through in a crisis right now. Maybe it involves divorce. Maybe it's just relational dysfunction between family members. Maybe that's parents and kids or kids and parents, whether you're grown or still with your parents. Maybe it's with siblings. Maybe it's something going on in your family. Maybe it's a crisis that you're going through of trying to get through losing a loved one that was so special to you and you're still grappling with that. That's a crisis. Maybe it's a financial and money crisis. With all that's going on in our economy, some of you are thinking about that. Am I going to have enough to retire now? Or am I going to have to work uh, you know, 10, 15 more years? What is that going to be? Are we going to be able to afford all this? And we think about those things. We think about our work and our career crisis. There's all these jobs that are out there. Should I stay where I am? Should I go somewhere else? And so you're thinking about that crisis. We think about political and leadership crisis in our own country, you know. We always want to blame the president. Well, you know what he did. We can just get a new president in there. Everything will be great. But we do think about those things. We hear the news and we think, well, when we got a new election coming up, maybe we can get somebody else in there that will turn these things around. And so there's crisis of, of politics and leadership. And then 90% of the prayer requests we get here at this church, and probably in your life too, you know what they are? They're health-related, aren't they? They're health-related because that is what is at the core of somebody, their health. And we think about some of y'all are personally going through health crisis right now, maybe physically. But there's not just physical crisis you're going through because you're thinking, why? what am I going to do about this disease? What am I going to do about this issue, this surgery coming up? All these different things. And that's at the foremost of not only you, but those that love you the most. And that's a crisis for you right now. Maybe it's not only a physical crisis, but emotional or mental or spiritual that you're going through in your life. A crisis of faith, deciding what you believe and why. And some of you are here today and you may be going, I hear you, Craig. I've been following this whole thing through Acts and, and God worked through Paul and all these people, but I don't know sometimes. And you have a crisis of faith. Do you really believe that there is a God who sent his son Jesus and we can have a personal relationship? Is that really true? Maybe a crisis of purpose and meaning. Why am I here? What is my purpose here on earth? Maybe an identity crisis, which many in our culture have today. Who am I? Who am I? And I could go on and on, but we all have those crises in our lives. But here's the thing, y'all. The same Holy Spirit that got Paul through those crises, the same Holy Spirit that got that early church through their crisis, is the same Holy Spirit that can work in our lives today. It's not like it was just for them. It wasn't like it was just about the people in Acts in that first century. And then God just kind of went off and says, I'll come back and clean everything up later. You're on your own. No. He says he's personal. He's in our lives. And I think about a conversion. We need to have a conversion from the deceptions of the world and what the world tells us is the truth. And there's a difference from what the world tells us and what God tells us. They're two different things. And we need to know the truth of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that today? Do you really believe that? Because some of you right now, and I even say some of you kids, you're worried right now about what's going to happen this school year. Am I going to have good friends? Am I going to do okay in my grades this year? You're thinking about those things. Am I going to go out for this team or this club or this thing? Is that going to work out? And that's normal. But we need to know our identity is ultimately in Christ who loves us regardless of the crisis that comes in our lives. 
And the power displayed and that was working in the book of Acts and with Paul and all those people was not a one-time deal. It's for here and now. It's a real power that I can experience not only in the church with my church family, but also individually and personally in my own life. People throughout history have and continue to experience that power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, as we close this book of Acts, you know how it ends? It ends with Paul basically talking about what he was going to do and what it says that he did at the end. And it says that Paul continued. He continued in what God had called him to do, and he continued for the rest of his life to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how Acts ends. To the day he died, Paul continued what God was calling him to do, even in the midst of the next crisis that would be coming. So this morning, we want to offer an invitation to maybe you need to surrender to Jesus Christ today, to that Holy Spirit that's prompting you to admitting that you're helpless to get through this crisis. Because there's some of us here today that are going, I got this. I know God loves me, and I'm sure He can do it, but I can do this. I can do this on my own. I don't necessarily need God, but yes, you do. And you know what else you need? You not only need God, you need people. There is not one of us in this room that can get through crisis all by ourselves. We need each other. Let me, tell, let, me, let me tell you what happened to me this week and shows you what, how I need to be reminded of how valuable people are. So, so my mom is here, and she's going to be embarrassed. I'm telling the story again. But my mama fell down the stairs at her house this week, and thank God she was okay. But you know what my first reaction was when I got the... And this is just, just sorry you got to hear your preacher say this. I was like, man, this is really going to mess up my day. Isn't that sad? You know, oh, you're okay? Yeah, well, all right, I'm coming out there. And I start thinking, and then all of a sudden I thought, how many times, how many times did my crisis mess up my mama's day when I was growing up? How many times did she bail me out of all those crises that I caused? And she didn't even cause this, and this just happened. So I had a good day with my mom, and thankfully she was okay. But again, God, through a crisis, was reminding me, you're going to preach about all that stuff? And look at you, man. <laughs> what are you doing? Listen to your own sermon, bro, you know? And so we know that God can be with us. And I was grateful that my mom was okay. But even if she wasn't, God was still in the midst of that teaching me and other people something through all of this. So we want to offer an invitation to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the second invitation, if you already believe that and have accepted that, is you need to make a decision that... I need a church home. I need a church family where when crisis come, I've got people that can help me with that. And let me tell you, I'm so blessed that when I check on people in the church, I'm usually like the 10th person because y'all are so good about checking on each other. And that's what the church in the first century was about. And that's what this, this church in the 21st century should be about is we need help. And it's a place where we can say, you know what, I'm going through a crisis. Will you pray with me? Will you help me with this? And I see our people doing that. We're certainly not perfect, but we're a diverse group of people, of Jesus followers, just like in that first century. We're committing to not only just hearing the word, but also doing the word. This afternoon, we're going to have this FS2 things. And if y'all walked in, did y'all see that table with all that junk on it? You know what that is? That's you. That's you saying, I want to support the teachers and what they do in our community. Not just about words, it's about deeds. And so that's the kind of church we invite you to be a part of. So if there's somebody here today that needs to make that decision, we're going to offer that invitation. And as we sing this song to prepare our hearts, we're going to go into a time of communion. Uh, we do this every week. If you're a guest here today, that may be new to you. You don't have to be a member of our church. 
If uh, you are a believer and you would like to take communion, we invite you to do that. You don't have to, but we invite you to be a part of that in just a minute. But we're going to sing this song. Our praise team is going to lead us, and I'm going to be here. If you have a decision to make, you can walk down here. But for the rest of us, we're going to just prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together as the body of Christ. Let's stand and sing.